invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Consider from Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We pick up with the, uh, the second part of the, the sermon that we started last time a month ago when we were in this book on Christian families. The first part dealt with uh, children and now we, we deal with uh, parents and specifically what Paul says in uh, verse 21 of chapter 3. Now this morning you may be at a stage in your life where you are not a parent, um, but that doesn't mean you can just check out. God's Word certainly applies to each of us at all times in our lives. And so as uh, maybe a young person, a single person, there's wisdom from God's Word that applies to us. And I'm sure you have maybe friends who have children, family members who have children, all of which you care for and you want to see do well. And so this text certainly applies to you as well. So Colossians uh, 3, we're going to focus our attention on verse 21, but I'm going to begin our reading up at verse 8 of chapter 3. So chapter 3 of verse 8, beginning at verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Well, we're all a a part of a family to uh, one degree or another. And as family members, we know how complex families can be. And why? Why are families so complex? Well, as I said last time, it's because of sin and it's because of Satan. You see, Satan hates families. I said that as well last time we were in this book. Satan hates husbands. He hates wives. He hates parents. He hates children. He hates families. 
Satan desires to destroy the family. And that's why there is so many challenges and complexities and snares for the family today. See, the traditional idea of what a family is has all but vanished as a cultural ideal in our society today. Family is under attack, isn't it? The idea of what a family is is under attack. Children are under attack attack. You see, among the the myriad of common, common temptations that our children face, which by the way have more access to our children today than ever before because of technology, among those common temptations there are also ideologies of sexuality and gender identity and wokeness that are actively pursuing the hearts and minds of our children today. Children are under attack. Parents are also under attack today. Parents in our society today are losing parental rights at an astounding rate. And maybe they're not losing them. Maybe parents are just giving them away in an effort to be compliant and tolerant of others. Parents, too, are under attack. You see, gone are the days when we as Christian parents could parent passively gone are those days where Christian parents could assume that their children were growing up in in neighborhoods and in an environment free from the threat of those who are coming for their hearts and minds. Gone are the days when the only thing we had to worry about as if it was the only thing was physical harm coming to our children. Today the ideologies and agendas are anti, militantly anti-Christian. Gone are the days where we could hide our children away from being exposed to such perspectives. Gone are the days of thinking, as long as I keep my family away from the cities, cities like San Francisco, then my kids will grow up to be okay. They won't be exposed to those, uh, that sexual revolution. Let me give you an example. As many of you know, me and my family were in Ripon, California, prior to receiving a call here in Escondido. Now, if you know Ripon at all, then you know Ripon is this tiny, quiet, simple little town in the Central Valley of California. It's an agricultural area. It's a place that I would describe as having a a church on every corner. There's only around 16,000 people in Ripon. It was a safe place family-oriented. It was considered copland. It was a place of choice where neighboring cops, sheriffs, and firefighters chose to live. They chose to live in Ripon. Well, we lived in a cul-de-sac in Ripon, making it even more safe for us. And in this cul-de-sac, at various times, you could, you could count 20 to 25 kids who would play in this cul-de-sac and in the yards small little ripping. And there was this family there in the cul-de-sac that lived in, um, in one of the houses there. Had a sweet, dear little girl who played with my girls. But this family had two mommies. Two mommies. Now, I don't say that to demonize this family or to demonize these two ladies. We became friends with them. We would invite them to church. We'd invite them over. We'd share the gospel with them. I say this to say, in a place like Ripon, 
tiny, small little town. My girls at a very young age were exposed to the ways of this world. And they had to process how they were to relate to people who don't believe in the traditional biblical family. If that happens in Ripon, then really that can happen anywhere. Now, maybe you think you live in a safe neighborhood. You don't have neighbors where there are two mommies or two daddies. Well, let me remind you that there is social media platforms out there that are engaged on marketing towards the hearts and minds of your children. Platforms such as TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. If you remember when Rosaria Butterfield was here last year, one of the main points of her talk was that these ideologues are coming for your children. They'll try to convert your children And they'll try to do so in a way that happens slowly so that you don't even realize it. You don't even recognize it. But their aim is to transform the heart and minds of your children. That's the reality of the world that we live in today. So as I said, gone are the days of Christian parents passively parenting. Gone are the days where we can simply ignore such things, where we could assume as long as our kids were brought to church, went to the Christian school, then they would be okay. Now, Christian parents should have never been passive parents in the first place, and so this is maybe a wake-up call for us. It's a good thing. You see, and Christian parents should have never been passive parents because sin is not passive. Sin is active. Just as John Owen says, we either, ought to be, we either are killing sin or sin is killing us. Or as Jeremiah 17 describes sin, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is active, actively deceives and leads astray. And that means our children are not passive victims of their own sin. They're active participants in their sin. Their actions are a reflection of their hearts, which are actively sinful. If you don't believe me, just put two little children in one room together with one toy and see what happens. Trust me, the kids won't go, you have it. No, you have it. No, you have it. If they're interested in that toy, they will go for it and they will fight for that toy. If you have children, you know that the, uh, some of the first words that kids learn are no and mine. It's an expression of our, their heart, isn't it? It's an expression of our heart. So there was never a time that we as Christian parents should have ever been passively parenting because sin is not passive and so today today more than ever passively parenting will leave your children vulnerable to the active and real threats of the world satan and even their own sin so we as christian parents we must be active parents active parents you see in a world like we live in today we aren't just raising children We're raising soldiers. 
We're raising spiritual soldiers. We're raising boys and girls, men and women who should be ready for real-life spiritual warfare. Now, that's where we've always been, but today that fact is never more apparent. So how do we do this? I think what Paul says here, along with other passages, aim and equip us to be active Christian parents. Those passages aid and equip us to be Christ-centered parents, the Christ-centered parents that we are called to be. But before we get into the passage itself this morning, I want to remind us of where we've been and how what Paul has already said in this book relates and applies to parenting. I've mentioned to you a number of times as we've studied this book that this is a Christ-centered book. This book makes everything about Christ. Chapter 1 teaches, it has that beautiful section on the preeminence of Christ, meaning that everything is about Him. Everything is for Him. Just as it says in chapter 1, verse 16, by Him all things were created. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Parenting was created for him and by him. Families were created for him and by him. And by his work, he has reconciled us to himself so that now we, as redeemed parents, families, children, we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who has redeemed us. And so let me ask you, what is your life all about? What is your life all about? Maybe you're thinking about marriage. You're considering marriage. Is your life right now all about Christ? If your life right now isn't all about Christ, do you think your marriage will be all about Christ? Maybe you're thinking about having children. Is your life right now all about Christ? If your life right now is not all about Christ, then your parenting will not be all about Christ. Brothers and sisters, our lives should make everything about Christ. Christ calls us to deny ourselves, doesn't he? He says, deny yourself, take up your cross. Take up your cross, which literally means crucify yourself. And follow me. Christ lived a sacrificial life for us and then offered that life upon a cross for us. Christ sacrificed everything for us as his people. He calls us to now deny ourselves and follow him. And the way that Paul puts that in Colossians is really by what he says in chapter 3, verse 11. Here in Christ, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We can simply add to that parents, moms, dads, children. There is no mom or dad. There's no father or mother. Christ is all and in all. 
See, the point that Paul is making here isn't that we lose our ethnic background or our callings in life or our identities. What he's impressing upon his readers and listeners here is that those, those backgrounds, those identities, those callings are transformed in Jesus Christ. They are to be lived out with him being made primary. Called to live out our lives as mothers and fathers with Jesus Christ at the forefront of our minds, with his work at the forefront of our minds. And that's what chapter 3 begins with, doesn't it? Chapter 3, verse 1 seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Verse 2 set your mind on things that are above. Verse 3 put to death what is earthly in you. Verse 12 put on as God's chosen ones, I would summarize as. The mind of Christ. You see, everything is to be about Christ. Everything. Our children, ourselves, as mothers and fathers, our families, our lives. As I've said the last three times that we've considered from this book, Christ is the key. He's the key to a godly life. He's the key to a godly church. He's the key to a godly marriage. He's the key to a godly Christian family. Christ is the key. He's the key to all the commandments that we've been given as his people. We look to him and the salvation that he has so graciously accomplished for us. And out of thanks and gratitude for that, we live for him and by him. And so if you want to be godly parents, if you want to be a godly mother and father, focus yourselves on Christ. See, Paul is indeed speaking of a Christ-centered family here. That's the overarching theme of this book. Christ. Christ is all and in all. See, it's not enough for us to simply call ourselves Christian families. We need to be making much of Christ. We need to be making everything about him. That's what Paul is pointing out here. That's why he says in verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. What Paul calls us to as Christian parents here is active parenting. Not passive parenting and not provoking parenting. He puts in negative terms here in Colossians 3 what he says elsewhere in positive terms. Like Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the idea here is not only to avoid provoking our children, but to do the opposite as well. To do the positive work of, of loving them, disciplining them, or a better way of putting it, discipling them, instructing and modeling to them the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, discipline is not always a negative term. It's not always exclusively punitive or related to punishment. Like when we tell our kids, if you don't do that, I'm going to discipline you. When we say something like that, right, we're relating discipline to the negative, to punishment. Discipline isn't always punitive. And if that's the only way that we relate to our children along the lines of our instruction to them, if, it's, if we're always or only punitive, 
then we're breaking what Paul calls us to here. We are provoking our children, which will lead to discouragement. But discipline isn't always punitive. For example, think of the discipline required in training. Maybe you've played on a sports team. Maybe you're an athlete or have been an athlete. Maybe you've engaged in some kind of competition in your life. If you have, then you know that each of those things require discipline, don't they? They require a kind of discipline if you want to do well what it is you're intending to participate in. And that's why parents enjoy having their children in sports and athletics because those sports and athletics instill discipline in their children. But it's not just those things that take discipline. All of life takes discipline. All of life takes discipline. Life requires practice it requires self-control. It requires limiting yourself, sacrificing yourself. It requires structure and boundaries, effort, principles. Life requires discipline. And as parents, as Christian parents, we are to raise our children in the discipline of the Lord, the discipline of Christ, the discipline of Christianity. We are to teach and instruct them, but not only teach and instruct we're to instruct and model for them all that Christ has taught. We're to give them through that modeling and instruction, structure, boundaries, principles to live their life by according to Christ and all that he has taught. And the verse that should guide us here, if you're thinking about it, is Matthew 28. We're all familiar with the Great Commission, right? Make Disciples. Disciples are those who have been disciplined in the ways of Christ. They've been instructed in the ways of Christ. Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, is what Christ says. And this most certainly applies to our children. Our children, first and foremost, are disciples. They're disciples, they're not servants. They're not unhired hands. They're not just responsibilities or inconveniences. They're certainly not people that we should be striving to live through vicariously. They're not the fulfillment of our heart's desires to have a home with two and a half children, a golden retriever, and that white picket fence. Our children are not idols. They're disciples. Disciples of Christ. Think about that for a moment. Your children are disciples of Jesus Christ. You've been blessed with the opportunity and responsibility to disciple them in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a rich blessing, but it's also a great responsibility. Listen again to the way Deuteronomy 6 puts it. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. We read this section and the law section of our service. Such a good passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll just, we won't read the entire chapter. We're just going to read briefly verses 6 and 7. And as you're turning there, 
Verse 4 begins with the Hebrew Shema, the, the confession, the Hebrew confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then immediately after, it says to impress these truths, the truths that have been covered and the truths that Moses will go on to teach upon the hearts and minds of your children. And this is what Deuteronomy 6 says, 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Do you note the the language of Deuteronomy 6 there? The text speaks of a way of discipling our children. That way is diligently, diligently disciple your children. Impress these truths upon them diligently, meticulously, conscientiously, intentionally, purposefully, methodically, actively. That's the way that we are to disciple our children, actively. And when? When does Deuteronomy 6 say we should do all of this? Well, listen again. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. From a Hebrew cultural perspective, there's no other time in between that. Essentially, all the time. All the time. When you're sitting, walking, lying, rising, whatever you are doing, wherever you are, whatever time it is, you are to be discipling your children along the way. And that's what what this points out to us as Christian parents is that Christian discipleship is a continual task in the home, is it not? It's a continual ministry that we've been given as parents. It's constant. A constant engaging of our children. We should do it all the time in every place. See, this is speaking of active parenting, not passive parenting. Now, I'm sure we all strive to have family devotions. It's a fantastic thing. Family devotions are such a critical, significant part of the spiritual lives of our families. But here's the thing. When family devotions are done and over... Discipling doesn't end. We should be continuing to disciple our children. Discipling is ongoing. It's continual. And with this mentality in mind, what we should realize is that everything is an opportunity to disciple our children. Everything is an opportunity to point our children to Christ. To make him all and in all. That's the goal of parenting. Now we're all familiar with the fact that our children watch us. They watch us, right? If that's a news flash to you, I'm surprised. Our children watch us. They watch everything that we do. They watch our actions, our reactions. They watch or listen the words that come out of our mouths. They watch the way we relate to other people. They watch how we are gracious at times to some and vindictive to others. Our children watch us. And that's not only a matter of fact, but it's a good thing. 
It's a good thing that our children watch us. Because watching us goes right in line with discipling them. We want them to watch us as we look to Christ, as we model Christ. Now, indeed, there are times that we wished they would stop watching us. There are times that uh, because of sin, we're ashamed that they have seen us respond, react, act certain ways. But even those moments when we fail in our Christian lives, those moments are opportunities. Opportunities to model repentance in Jesus Christ. You see, another truth that should be obvious to us is our children know our sin. They know where we struggle. They know what we wrestle with. They know our sin because they watch us. We shouldn't kid ourselves and act as if our kids aren't aware of that. But here's the thing. How are we going to react to that truth, to that reality? How do we react to the fact that our children know our sin? Do we try to hide it? Do we try to cover it up, act like it didn't happen? Just excuse it. Forget about it. I hope not. Because they're watching us do that as well. If that's how we react to our sin, then they inevitably will react in the same way. And we won't be disciplining them or discipling them in the ways of Christ. We will be discipling them in our ways. In sinful ways. In ways that put ourselves before them. In ways that put ourselves before Christ. In ways that put ourselves before anything else but when we parent in a christ-centered way we don't shy away from the fact that we too are sinners we acknowledge our sin and we instruct our children through modeling before them that sin should not be covered up instead it should be acknowledged it should be confessed it should be repented of it should be turned away from killed and mortified So that even the sinful things that we do are opportunities for us to continue to disciple our children. It's in those moments when we realize our sin and our children see that, that we have the personal opportunity to, yes, humble ourselves before our children. Humble ourselves. See, Christian, people are people who in humility acknowledge their sin, confess it, turn from it, and seek the forgiveness and assurance that there can be in Jesus Christ. You've all probably seen the bumper sticker which says, Christians are not perfect, we're just forgiven. And that's true. We're not perfect, we're forgiven. But you see, that reality reality acknowledges that we are sinners who need forgiveness. We're not to self-righteously hide our sin. We're not to hypocritically act as if we don't sin. Again, if we do that, we will be impressing something upon our children. That that's the way they should grow up. That's the way they should act. And so again, as Christian parents... Even sin is an opportunity, an opportunity to bow before our holy, 
perfect God. Seek him in the forgiveness that we have in his son, Jesus Christ. It's interesting, but isn't that what Paul does? Paul does it at different times, but one that comes to mind for me is Romans 7. At one point in uh, 1 Timothy, Paul calls himself the chief sinner. But in Romans 7, he talks about how he still, as an apostle, doesn't do the things that he wants to do and continues to do the very things he doesn't want to do. And then at the end of that chapter, he makes this very pointed statement directing his listeners, his audience to Jesus Christ. He says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God forgives in Jesus Christ. God has delivered us from our sin and the punishment that our sin deserves through Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ. We need that forgiveness. Our children need that forgiveness. We need to model this truth to them as we ourselves struggle with sin, acknowledge that sin, turn from it, and look to Christ. They need to know this in a real, personal way. Not just in a way where they know the answers to the questions that we ask them. They need to see this modeled as they are being discipled by us, trained by us. That we too struggle with sin. We too wrestle with sin. But we have a Savior who forgives us of such sin. And you know what's beautiful about this? When we do this, our children will begin to see us and themselves as sinners who need Christ. They'll begin to see in a very personal way their need for Jesus Christ. Is there anything better? As parents, is there anything better that we would want our kids to come to realize but that they need Jesus Christ. As we model humble faith, which does not hide sin, but acknowledges it, our kids' love for Jesus will grow. Because they'll see Jesus as he really is, the Savior of sinners. And you know, another fruit that will be born from this will be the way that we begin to relate to each other as parent and child. No longer simply as parent and child, but as fellow heirs in Christ, as people who collectively, together as a family, hate sin, hate it so much that we work together to fight against our own personal sin, and we share in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. When that happens, the relationships that we have between us and our children will be transformed. No longer solely a relationship of authority and submission, but one of care and compassion, love, respect, trust, intimacy. See, Christ-centered parenting transforms the relationship of parent and child. It's certainly active. That relationship today has been mocked. It's joked about. It's described in caricatures as being oppressive. A relationship that Satan is trying to destroy in every single way possible. 
But when we look to Christ, that relationship will not be destroyed. It will be transformed. Transformed for the good of our children. Transformed for the good of our family. Transformed for the glory of Christ, where he will be made all and in all. Then and only then will the relationship between the parent and the, and the child be one of discipleship. Where we actively instruct and model to our children in every possible way, at every time, even with sin itself. See, brothers and sisters, this is what it means to be a Christ-centered family, to be Christ-centered parents, to make Christ primary. Not us, not our children. Christ, where we do everything for Him and the glory of His name. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the wisdom that you grant to us through your word. Wisdom to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wisdom to fear you, Lord, over and above man, over and above even ourselves, Lord. Father, I pray for the families of this church. Father, we live in a world that is nothing short of chaotic, We, as parents, as families, need all the wisdom that you could grant to us, all the grace that you would grant to us. And so we ask for that, Lord. Strengthen us, equip us, provide us with all that we need to make much of Christ our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.